1: their essential
0: love of justice.
2: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for Super Bowl Week 2022. I'll explain what I'm talking about in a second, but first, welcome as always, Tim Shiflet.
1: Good evening, sir.
2: Yes, well, I mean, and we can say evening because here's the thing, we are pre-recording this episode during the week before the Super Bowl, now we're probably going to drop it in Um, Sometime closer to Sunday But we are not live um, While the Super Bowl is being played So it is early But that really gave us some um, great Opportunities because Tegan Goddard of Political Wire Has been on our show once before And um, during the week Is better for him So every once in a while we do these pre-records We end up with some really outstanding guests And and I don't think um, Today or tonight Will be any exception to that um, so we'll have Tegan Colin in just a moment we just thought we would kind of set up the show and um, there's been a lot of Georgia uh, political news uh, that has um, kind of made the scenes and we may discuss it on both sides of the interview and I guess the biggest thing was he was the third candidate in the polls but he was having you know all the double figures and he was definitely pulling uh, votes away I would think from David Perdue Um, and would possibly have forced uh, Brian Kemp into a runoff, or David Perdue into a runoff for that matter, and that was Vernon Jones. He has just announced he's not going to be uh, in the governor's race, and he's switching to the 10th congressional race. So um, before we switch over and talk about his chances in that congressional district and what that is, um, let's talk about what this means for the governor's race. Uh, Tim, were you surprised that Vernon Jones did this?
1: No, because it was the worst kept secret in the state that Donald Trump was actively courting Jones to do exactly what he did. So, of course, Trump talked him into this, Um, and with the idea of coalescing the anti-Kemp votes, uh, In the one candidate, I don't know how well that will work out. It would seem to me, just as a casual political observer, that the more anti kemps there were, the more likely, perhaps, that he would be forced into a runoff. And an incumbent that uh, gets thrown into a runoff is wounded uh, more times than not mortally, isn't he?
2: Yeah, well, well, I mean, if, if you ask me the question Was I surprised? I'm not really surprised With anything Vernon Jones does at this point um, To be, <laughs> I guess Kind, I would I would describe his Career as erratic um, Unpredictable um, I won't say it was ever boring um,
1: That is kind <laughs> But,
2: you know, that, so nothing would surprise Me, I mean, honestly if I remember that movie from a few years ago uh, Deck Chair Danny, where he uh, Put a bunch of balloons on a uh, you know, lounge chair and float up in the sky. If some reason that, you know, Vernon Jones thought that was a good strategy and he did it. I, I really would not be surprised at this point. Um, so it looks like, you know, their benefits are negatives to Kemp and Purdue in this. Um, it, it looks like you would think that people that have, you know, they're they'll first decide up or down on Brian Kemp since he's the incumbent and if they decide no, then then there was a chance that these voters might um, go to Purdue, and that would hurt Purdue. Um, I'm sorry, that would help Purdue. But then, like you said about the runoff, the fact that it may not go to a runoff now, um, you know, complicates matters. Uh, you know, for David Purdue, because now he has to win it in the first round. I would think. What do you think, Tim?
1: Well, the. You know, seriously, there's 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 two main candidates left now. There's not going to be a runoff. I'm still thinking that the more, the merrier approach of the anti-Kemp forces would have been the one to do. It, it isn't just that they might oppose Kemp, but it might be a new candidate might enter the race, and somebody that was wavering would say, you know, I like this guy, so I'm going to vote for him. It's not just the hardcore anti-Kemp folks we're talking about here. It's people that are kind of wavering on the line. There's just a few of them, but you want to grab them because a few of them might mean, well, you win. Uh, Now, Trump is wanting, I suppose, and I keep mentioning him because this is all Donald Trump's doing. He's wanting to test a theory. Can I beat Governor Kemp one-on-one? I believe yes. that I can. Well, let's That's put what
2: a pen in, in in this discussion right now, and let's switch over. And we're so excited to um, welcome into the Kudzu Vine for the second time from Political Wire, Mr. Tegan Goddard. Welcome, Mr. Goddard.
0: Uh, hi. How are you guys? Thanks for yes, having sir.
2: me. Yes, doing great. Um, you know, I think the last time we may have had you say a little bit about Political Wire, but, you know, honestly – I can't imagine anybody would listen to our show and not already read Political Wire. If someone is listening to our show, stop listening and go read Political Wire and then come back and finish the show because it is absolutely the best resource for political news in the country.
0: Well, you're very kind. Thank you. And uh, I hope uh, anybody who hasn't seen it uh, does stop by and uh, and then keeps reading it uh, every day as uh, so many have. But you're very kind to say that.
2: Yes, there's one of those uh, newspapers or TV shows. If you've missed a day, you've missed a lot, or if you've missed a show, you've missed a lot. I forget who that was, but that would apply um, to what you've got on your site. Um, well, let's kind of just start off, um, uh, and let just, just talk about the kind of the fundamentals of the 2022 midterms. Uh, right now, I've heard many political pundits say if the election was held right now, Uh, The Democrats would not do well. The Republicans would do well. Uh, First, do you agree or disagree with that assessment?
0: Well, it's it's hard to argue against history, Um, and history really is where most people are basing their forecasts right now. In uh, the first midterm election cycle of of a president, it is very very hard for the president's party to do well in these. Um, In the first midterm elections, there tends to be a backlash against the president, um, against his party. And the thing that we know about our times today versus, you know, 20 or 40 years ago is that everything right now is about in our is about the party in our very partisan times. So people have chosen their teams and the backlash will be against, you know, will most likely be against Joe Biden. That said, there are some uh, there are some uh, reasons why Democrats might be a little bit more hopeful. The biggest one has been on the redistricting uh, that has taken place, um, you know, as it it takes place every 10 years um, and is taking place right now. Um, By all accounts, it looks like the Democrats actually might come out a few seats ahead of where uh, of where they were just before this process started, meaning. That as each state uh, reapportions uh, their districts, draws the lines in new places, that the Democrats might end up picking, or at least, I mean, nothing is known until we actually have the elections. But there are there are there are at least two or three districts, two or three districts that are more favorable to the Democrats so far in the redrawing of these districts so far. That goes against all expectations. Uh, it was it, it has been assumed for many years that just like it was 10 years ago, that the Republicans would have an advantage uh, in this redistricting because they controlled more of the redistricting apparatus uh, in these states. But for a variety of reasons, Democrats seem to have pulled out ahead. So that's hopeful. So in a House of Representatives where the Democrats currently have a have, have a margin, they can only lose four votes right now, getting an extra two or three seats is a big deal, um, you know, assuming everything else is equal. The problem with that, however, is that there are a lot, there are, of, of, of the marginal seats, um, of which, you know, of, of the competitive seats, the seats that, you know, there might be 25 or 30 seats that are considered quite competitive right now, if there is a red wave, so to speak, towards Republicans because of a backlash against President Biden, uh, an extra two or three seats really isn't going to be enough for the Democrats to keep control of the House. So that's really what they're what they're up against. And one other factor that I'll mention um, about the midterms that is so important, a lot of people wonder why there's this focus in the political media on the president's approval rate. Um, and it actually – one of the reasons for that, even though Joe Biden will not be on the ballot in 2022 – Uh, His approval rate is probably the biggest factor in terms of predicting what will happen in those elections. And so if his approval rate stays in the high 30s or low 40s, which is where it is now by most of the polling averages, that looks pretty grim for Democrats. If if it gets up into the high 40s or even crosses the 50 percent mark, um, all bets are off. Democrats could have a very good year.
2: Yes, I, I think you made a good point about the redistricting. And we know some states Democrats controlled the process and there were gains there. But in some states like, like Georgia, like um, Florida, um, other growing areas that you know either gained seats or did gain population, the Republicans controlled the process but only picked up seemingly a seat or two in the states. Um, is that just because areas even within a state that are growing – are becoming more democratic in areas that are shrinking or more Republican.
0: That's, a, that's an interesting observation. I, I think it may have to do with a, a, a change in strategy by the Republicans. I think what they tried to do in many of these states, uh, Florida being one, Texas being another, um, is that they tried to shore up some of their currently Republican-held seats um, in those districts and make them – a little bit more Republican than they might have been before, rather than trying to steal away a seat or two from Democrats. Um, so I think what they, and, and I think if you look at the forecasts are very early right now, but if you look at the number of competitive districts, I mean, if, if it's 30 or 35, that might be, that might be a lot, but out of 435 congressional seats, the fact that there's only 30 or 35 of them that are competitive is kind of amazing because essentially these, these seats in Congress are not won during the general election. They're won during the primary elections. Um, And so, uh, but that's, that trend seems to have continued. It's something that we've we've seen over the last several decades. Um, But I think Republicans have have focused on that, on shoring up their currently Republican held seats so that, that, that they might not be vulnerable in, in the next blue wave um and instead of trying to pick off a few other seats and and if you know if president biden's approval rate stays low if the historical trend continues this year that might have been actually the better strategy for them this year because they will in fact be able to pick up you know probably take control of the house of representatives because they don't need that many seats to do so and then if there is a blue wave in the future um, they've kind of shored up their defenses uh, against that, you know, at least for the next ten years until the next re- re- the next redistricting.
2: Yes, well, let's talk about you know the Democrats, Joe Biden's approval rating being a big factor. But and so I guess it's kind of a tied together question between now and November. What can Joe Biden do to improve his approval rating, and in turn, what can the Democrats that are up for election um, a reelection do to improve their electoral chances
0: so it's a great question i i, I am a, i'm of the belief that uh, joe biden's approval rate is entirely entirely tied to the pandemic in the economy um and that if the if the pandemic eases up if people feel like life is returning to normal um you know certainly by late spring or summertime um, and, the, and then the resulting effect is that the supply chain crunches that we've seen over the last year, they start to ease if, if, uh, if, if those supply chain crunches were responsible for inflation, we, which may or may not be the case. But if inflation starts to ease as well, um, then I, I think you'll see Joe Biden's approval uh, rates start inching up um, you know, quite dramatically, actually. I think most Americans right now are pretty glum about the direction of the country. I think a lot of that is really tied to the fact that we are, we've been two years in a pandemic. Um, and if in fact uh, we, we are coming out of it, as there's some evidence that may be the case that, or at least that's coming in the next, next few months um, I think you will see a rebound of Biden's approval rate. So if that happens, it could be a very exciting midterm election cycle too. If Biden's approval rate jumps five or six percentage points, All of a sudden some of these historical trends may not hold like uh, like they have in the past and then we can talk about this as well but Republicans have some issues on their own um, which are the whether or not they're too focused on Donald Trump in the last election or whether they're focused focused on the future um, and what they would do if they were in power and so that's a that's a big question there so the Republicans could easily snatch snatch defeat from the jaws of victory so to speak um, if they don't play their own cards right. But for for Joe Biden, that's probably the, the the biggest thing, the biggest factor in his approval rate is probably something that he doesn't have a ton of control over um, because he's pretty much done what he can to try to prepare the nation to get out of this pandemic. And everything else is really up to this virus um, in, in, in what new variants, if any, emerge and how people react to that. So. Um, But if if the nation starts coming out of this pandemic, I think you'll see a pretty rosy spring and summer, and uh, Joe Biden will be the main beneficiary of that in
2: his approval rate. Yes, uh, we did have planned to talk about the Republicans and their response to Donald Trump. And if Tim doesn't ask about that, I will, but I know he's going to drill down on a lot of key races uh, that are coming up in 2022 as well. So I'm going to pass it to Tim.
1: Sure thing. Good evening, Mr. Goddard. Thank you for being on with us this week. Um, Speaking of Donald Trump, if Joe Biden's approval rating is central to the general election vote, and of course it it is, if if history is any indicator, then is it not also fair to say that Donald Trump is a centerpiece around the country to affect most GOP primary races. Well, you know that is that is the question, and we're not entirely sure right now. I think there are there
0: there was one indication as the latest quarterly fundraising reports came in um, at the end of January, uh, when you looked at the Trump backed primary challengers versus the incumbents that they were challenging, or the other. Republicans in the races that were running against Trump-backed candidates. Those Trump-backed candidates, actually, they got the endorsements of uh, the endorsement of Donald Trump, the very coveted endorsement of Donald Trump in many cases, but they haven't been raising money very well. And so those endorsements have not translated into fundraising. Now, money is not everything in politics, but it's important. And so that's one indication, potentially, that Donald Trump's hold on his party. Uh, might be easing somewhat. And I think it's a little early to actually say that, but that is an indication, I think, that people are, people are watching. You're also seeing a situation, particularly in the Senate races, where Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are at odds uh, over a lot of things. Um, Donald Trump is no fan of Mitch McConnell and actively has called for his removal as Senate, Major- as Senate um, Republican leader. And they're not always backing the same candidates in these races. And so there's going to be a test. In some cases, they are. So in Georgia, both McConnell and Trump are backing Herschel Walker at this point, but, but not in every state. And so that, that is pretty interesting as well. And the reason why that's interesting is that Trump has uh, tended to endorse candidates that have not necessarily been vetted to the same level as, as the McConnell candidates. And if Republicans do nominate candidates for congressional races or for Senate races uh, where those candidates are not vetted or have problems, uh, in, which will emerge in the general election, then that could be very problematic for the Republicans' odds of taking back, taking control of uh, the House or the Senate, you know, coming up. We saw one uh, in, instance of that with a candidate in Pennsylvania, a Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, who after Trump endorsed him that came out is vet a very ugly divorce trial and uh, ended up dropping out of the race. And so now Trump has, has has decided to sit on the sidelines and is not endorsing one of the other Republican candidates in that Senate primary at this point. But um, there's other indications, such as in the Missouri Senate race, where uh, Trump has stayed on the sidelines as well. But there's a the former governor of Missouri, Eric Gretens, is in that race. And he... Uh, he resigned from his from office after a you know a sex scandal um you know, and so that's you know a lot of people think that he would not be the strongest candidate at that point so if republicans end up nominating some of these candidates who are, aren't really ready for prime time uh that could actually be a favor uh, that that could be a turn in favor of the democrats in a year that should otherwise not you know be good for them so the Trump factor is an interesting one. The Republican candidates and the Republican party itself have kind of bent over backwards to appease him to 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 you know to talk about the issues that he cares about. Um, but it's not so clear that that's that's a winning uh, winning message going forward into the midterm elections, focusing on trump. There's also you know when you when we talk about that from the Republican side, there's a there's a rift in the democratic party among what type what type of strategy democrats should use going into the midterms and some some democratic strategists think that they should focus on donald trump and that this is our our chance to vote against donald trump and to prevent him from coming back into power in some way in 2024 and that we need to take a stand now and, and turn this election on trump and the the reason that they say that is that both in 2018 And in 2020, Donald Trump was very much the top issue of those election years, and the Democrats did very well in those two years. And so uh, those strategists are saying that. There's another set of strategists, however, who want to talk about absolutely anything but Donald Trump, and they want the Democrats to offer their own vision for the future. So when you look at both parties, you know, Trump is a factor uh, in how both of them are – both parties are approaching the race – But there doesn't seem to be agreement within either of the parties about what to do. Um, It's just another one of these curious things about this Trump era that we're living in.
1: Yeah. Now, um, funny that you should mention Pennsylvania in your remarks. Um, Surely the most interesting U.S. Senate contest for this year has to be Pennsylvania for several reasons. First of all, well— you know, it's Pennsylvania. And secondly, it is an open seat, which is mm-hmm. always interesting. But it's the third item I want to ask you about, um, something in the primary races. There's great primary races on both sides. Uh, but I want to ask you about Dr. Oz. In your assessment, <laughs> could he win the GOP nomination-based Solely on his celebrity, or is there another reason he could actually garner this nomination?
0: Uh, th- that is an interesting question. Very interesting question. I, I mean, obviously, I think uh, in Paul. I mean, you you see, obviously, in Georgia with Herschel Walker running on his celebrity. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing in Herschel Walker's background that suggests that he would be a U.S. senator, except for the fact that he's. Quite famous as a as a former football player, uh, Doctor Oz is obviously playing on his celebrity to the extent that up until a few months ago he didn't even live in Pennsylvania. He actually lived in New Jersey, um, and so he's but he's running for Senate in in Pennsylvania with the idea that people know who he is already, and that and, and because of that uh, knowledge and because he was on TV that they trust him. That's something obviously that Donald Trump himself relied on to win his election in 2016. So could he run solely on his, could he win solely on his celebrity? Uh, perhaps, uh, certainly in a general election, I think that's possible. It, it's unclear, however, what will happen in a Republican primary. Um, you know, obviously it's a different set of voters who vote in Republican primaries than who vote in the general election and whether or not that celebrity appeal will will matter as much is, is unclear. You know, the key to those primaries is really getting out your most avid supporters at a time when primary elections are held, which aren't necessarily scheduled at the time when everyone's thinking about it like they are with a general election. And so it takes a little bit of extra effort to get people out. It tends to be the most, uh, the most passionate um, supporters are the ones who tend to go out in the polls. And um, celebrity candidates may not have the most passionate supporters. They may. They could. I'm not sure that there's anything that indicates that Dr. Oz has the most passionate supporters in that race. His main challenger right now is David McCormick, um, who's a former uh, hedge fund uh, executive, um, a former Bush administration appointee. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that he has, you know, that he that he has a, a set of supporters that are passionate about him. Uh, McCormick as well ha- actually was a Connecticut resident. Up until a few months ago, so the fact that both of them actually uh, you know, have really don't have established roots in uh, uh, in Pennsylvania is pretty interesting. So both of them are kind of. McCormick is running because he's a very wealthy man; he could probably self fund this race. Dr. Oz is also wealthy and has his celebrity. So it is a fascinating primary race, and it'll be interesting to see who Republicans choose. Um, you know, on the Democratic side, you've got. Uh, you know, you, you've you got a competitive primary race as well. So as you mentioned, you know, having an open seat like that is uh, is, is very exciting because we're not sure who's either going to win the primaries or, or who's going to face off in November. So, um, and obviously being being Pennsylvania, just because it's a swing state is right. interesting because we'll look for clues to what might happen in 2024 from there as well.
1: Yeah. And now I won't will to move right next door because one of my personal favorite politicians is running okay in Ohio. Now some pundits have Ohio listed as a toss up, but it is there's no doubt that Ohio has been trending solidly to the right in recent elections. Can Tim Ryan alone make that seat a toss-up race, or is that just fools go for Democrats this year? <laughs> um, I, think there's, I think there's two of
0: those former swing states right now, which are solidly red at this point, one being Ohio and one being Florida. And I think that when Democrats think that they can compete in those states, I'm not saying the Democrats can't ever win in those states. They certainly can. Um, they certainly have statewide officials that are Democrats who have won, but it is very hard, and it is increasingly hard the more polarized our politics gets. Um, the, you know, I would add to that of those of those two states that were once swing states but are now solidly red. Um, I'd add Iowa to that as well. Iowa has it tends to be a very solidly red state at this point. So um, Ohio is going to be an interesting, interesting race, but I think that the most, the most exciting part of that of the Senate race in Ohio is actually going to be the Republican primary, where uh, you just have a free for all of candidates running, uh, trying to secure Donald Trump's endorsement, and, um, it, it, and in doing so, uh, you know. I, I think it's actually I, I will say this is an, it doesn't sound objective, but I think it's an objective comment that they're embarrassing themselves in doing so how, how they're running towards uh, trying to secure mm-hmm. Donald Trump's endorsement. So it's it's kind of a if, if I was a Republican in Ohio, I, I think it was kind of a mess. And I'd like that to be wrapped up as quickly as possible, because, you know, as you said, you know, none of these, you know, you don't know until the vote's in. And if the as I was saying earlier. If Republicans nominate candidates who are not electable in the general election, then all bets are off, and you know we'll you know we'll we'll see what happens. But there's some very uh, interesting candidates
1: running on the Republican side there for Senate. Mm. Uh, you know, in a fifty-fifty Senate, obviously, ju- just for starters, if the Democrats are going to hold the Senate, well, the first thing they're going to have to do is hold what they have. And I know a lot of people are talking about Arizona and Senator Kelling. They're talking about Senator Warnock in Georgia. But I'm a little bit worried about Nevada. Um, Close state and um, Catherine Cortez uh, Masto has, you know, a frontline opponent. Am I worried or am I right to be worried about Nevada at this point?
0: Um, I think well, I think so. I think I think Nevada is a, is a definitely still a swing state. Um, I think that uh, particularly with the large uh, Latino population in Nevada um, and the uncertainty about how solidly the Latino population, more broadly speaking, is supporting Democrats right now, I think I think it's a wild card. Um, so I think you're right to pick that one as a potential flip. Um, and one that the Democrats will need to pay a lot of attention to. Um, they do have, you know, they do have main candidates who are running. You know, you have former Senator Heller running for governor on the on the Republican side at the same time. You know, certainly he's a, he's he's won statewide before, and so uh, it could be a very interesting general election uh, coming out there. So that is definitely one that Democrats will need to watch. I think that that's the. That's also the point about some of these about these midterm elections is that, you know, any state that Joe Biden won by less than five percentage points is certainly, uh, you know, in danger territory for Democrats. If, if his approval rate stays in the low 40s or, or even lower mm-hmm. potentially. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you, when you look at that, you, you, you also not only are you worried about Nevada, but you're if you're a Democrat, you're also worried about Arizona. You're also worried about Georgia, so those are all states where you've got Senate races uh, going, and as you mentioned, a 50 fifty Senate is uh, uh, you know all it takes is one seat to flip it, so the Republicans don't need that much in order to uh, in order to take control but all, each one of those states, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia, um, if Joe Biden's approval rate stays very low, um, it could be punishing for Democrats.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, sir. And with that, I'm going to send it back to David.
2: Yes, uh, just a related kind of question. We've talked a lot about the usual suspects that people have on the battlegrounds. But what's a state you see that's up in the Senate or the governorship um, that people aren't looking at that could surprise us?
0: Well, interestingly, just before we uh, we started speaking, um, we got news out of Maryland that Larry Hogan would not run for U.S. Senate. Uh, the, the very popular Republican governor of a blue state, um, he would have been a formidable candidate uh, running for U.S. Senate, and he actually just announced that he was not. I know that that's something that that news is very disappointing to Mitch McConnell. Um, McConnell was really hoping he could convince Hogan to uh, to run, um, and that would have immediately put in a, a state in play or a Senate seat in play that wouldn't normally be in play. So I, I, I think that you know it's similar to the news that we had a few months ago, when uh, Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, decided to not run for Senate as well. That was also very disappointing for Republicans that, that he didn't run because he would have immediately put that Senate seat in play up in New Hampshire. So I, you know, again, I think that the most interesting seats, the states that we're not looking at, uh, tend to be solidly solidly blue, solidly red states where. Oh, suddenly, the race become, um, suddenly the race becomes a little bit more competitive. I, I think that most of those surprises would be in blue states just because of the, 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 the historical trend here of the election not being favorable to, uh, to Democrats. But you could see a situation, as I've hinted at that several times, where a red state could, could just nominate somebody who's not electable. Um, somebody who's controversial, somebody who's scandal ridden, somebody whose ca- campaign suddenly implodes, um, and so you know you always have to worry about that and the Trump factor and in, in whether or not he's vetting the candidates that he's endorsing. I mean, that's always an important thing there. But yeah, the one state that I would have said uh, was one to watch uh, was Maryland. But um, as of a few minutes ago, that just that that came off the map. I think that's now solidly blue again.
2: Yes, that is big news. Um, Well, then the kind of the big final question, um, and I'm sure a lot of Republicans have asked this, uh, the adults in the room, probably a lot of the Republican leaders when they're not uh, being recorded and off the record want to know what they can do to control Donald Trump, minimize his influence on the party. What, after compiling all these many, many stories over the years about Donald Trump and his political career, what could the Republicans do to minimize him as such a uh, influential figure on their party?
0: Well, I, I – you know, there are, there are some signs that his uh, – you know, I think this is a little early, and I don't think you'll see this in much of the national reporting, but – There are some signs that his that Donald Trump's grip on the party is weakening. Um, And that seems to be counterintuitive when you have the Republican National Committee voting just this last weekend to censure, you know, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for their perceived uh, abuses um, by not by by serving on this uh, House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riots. But um, that notwithstanding. Um, the one, the one bit of information that I found most interesting last week was the idea that that these Trump-backed candidates were not raising money, and that just by getting the Trump endorsement really did not translate into campaign dollars. So you have a situation in Georgia where you have a Republican primary with uh, Governor Brian Kemp trying to fight off a challenge from uh, David Perdue, who was endorsed by Donald Trump. And David Perdue could only raise about a million dollars in that race, and so far, at least, and uh, Brian Kemp has about 13 million dollars that he's raised. So uh, until that Trump endorsement equates to money, um, I'm not sure um, you can say that Donald Trump has has the strength over the party that he necessarily does. There's also there's a big footnote on that. Donald Trump's uh, political action committee also announced. That It had raised $122 million over the course of last year. And so that's obviously a huge war chest that if Trump decides to spend that on some of these races, um, you know, it could be a factor as well. But um, the Republicans have a problem with Trump. So there's definitely a rift in the party. Um, and there's one, one side of the party which seems to do everything they can to coddle Trump. Um, And there's another side of the party, which is a smaller side of the party, which is track actively trying to fight him. And I I would put in that category, you know, Mitt Romney, Larry Hogan, uh, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, people like that, who really think that Donald Trump's direction for the party is the is a direction for you know the destruction of the party ultimately, Um, or, or potentially just you know damaging the United States as well. I mean, these are Republicans, solidly conservative Republicans who uh, are really worried about what Trump could do to the party right now. So, um, you know, one of the interesting lessons in politics is that the divided side, the side that's more divided is usually the side that loses in elections. When as we move into this midterm election, that's a factor that Democrats have to be watching. If the Republicans stay divided, if half of them – focus on Donald Trump and, and his perceived wrongs in the 2020 election. Um, that could be really problematic for the party in terms of, you know, winning back, you know, control of the House or Senate. But at the same time, Democrats can't put too much weight on that because history is against them at this point. So it's a, it, it's going to be an interesting, interesting campaign season. So I hope uh, your listeners will tune into political wire and kind of track it, you know, from here on out, because I do think we're going to see some really interesting twists and turns over the course of the next 10 months.
2: Yes, and just a, kind of one final question. A lot of times we say, hey, promote, and you can promote anything you'd like, but what's something coming up on Political Wire that you can maybe give us a little teaser about, um, you know, some new feature, author, whatever that might be in the next uh, weeks or months?
0: Um. Well, well, I don't have I don't have anything that I can actually talk about right now. As okay. as you know, as a reg, as a regular reader, as somebody who's uh, you know, I, I experiment an awful lot. I try to do it. You know, it, it is digital media. You can change things really quickly. You can change your approach very quickly. Um, but I, I'm constantly thinking of uh, of new features to add. Um, the membership program where people get uh, you know they get they get a different version of the site which has no advertising, which has you know, a trending news aggregator, which is updated around the clock, um, as well as, you know, some of these bonus newsletters and stuff like that. I'm always trying to add to that bundle so that that becomes a better uh, a better deal for readers. And um, and there are some things coming that I hope to add to that in the near future. But in the meantime, I hope people check out political Wire because it's uh,
2: if you're in, if you
0: enjoy politics, if you enjoy following elections, it's, it's a pretty good place to start.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us this afternoon.
0: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.
2: Mr. Tegan Goddard, politicalwire.com um, to subscribe. It's $6 a month, which I know, um, you know, so many services, it's hard to pick ones. But if you're into politics, it is a $6 worth spending. I, I subscribe and have never even thought at once about, like, oh, well, can I let that one go? Um, whereas I don't subscribe to a lot of different services because, you know, it just adds up after a while. But political wire, when it gives you so much uh, width as far as the political media. Well, Tim, um, let's kind of go back to our discussion with Vernon Jones. I think we kind of, you know, come, hit on a point that um, this could be better thing for Brian Kemp um, than one might suspect because it means that David um, Purdue has to kind of beat him one on one at the first um, uh, you know, round of this voting. But let me just mention I guess Candace Taylor is the other candidate that has any you know name mm. recognition and that's pretty limited this race. Any chance that she soaks up some of Vernon Jones vote just because the people that were supporting him, that 10% just don't like either Kemp or Purdue.
1: No, I don't think so. Candace Taylor is a very libertarian-leaning candidate, and generally libertarians, whether they run either in the libertarian party line or as Republicans, tend to have a concrete ceiling above them. Uh, The best she's been running in the polls is about 4%. And I think she'll be lucky on primary day to get half of that. Um, and it's going to be libertarian voters that probably would not have wanted to vote for either of the other two main candidates. So yeah, I, I, I don't think that's much effect at all.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how much her campaign will get going. Um, I I, I, th- I find it kind of strange. I think you may be right that she's a libertarian-leaning candidate. But, yes, she's a, a, a public school teacher, uh, or involved some way. She has a public school job. I think she was a teacher, and she may be in some other um, part of education. I haven't looked in her bio in a while. But that's kind of odd in that you, you make your living through um, government services, and you want to pretty much do away with government.
1: Well, you know, and Rand signed up for Social Security and Medicare. So, you know, they yeah. talk one game. Sometimes And play another one You know how that goes
2: Yeah well now let's talk about uh, Vernon Jones and the 10th Congressional district um, And um, I, that, that race is being Vacated by Jody Heiss I really don't know how much the district Changed from where it was Before I do know it's mainly in Eastern Georgia It's um, to the um, East side of Atlanta Well outside of the metro area Um, on that border, and um, it's – so it's it's pretty Republican-leaning district if you're going to elect a Jody Heiss. Um, There's a litany of candidates that are in the race, and we can go through those. What do you know about the the new 10th district?
1: It's probably a couple of uh, points. bluer than it was, don't anybody get excited. It was one of the reddest districts in Georgia. It would have to go a ways to even think about being progressive, much less a place where Democrats could, you know, might actually. Snag lightning and win that May be a ways down the road And no I'm not dissing the Three main democrats that have Already announced they're running They're fine people I'm glad they're Showing the flag but it's it's Going to be tough for any of them To win it so that's where The 10th district is right now
2: Yes um, so Some of the candidates in the race I guess um, You have um, Mike Collins who's the um, Son of Matt Collins you have Paul Brown, right. Paul Brown, who was in Congress before, ran for Senate, didn't win, and apparently I think he's run before to try to get that seat back. The ex um, State Revenue Commissioner David Curry is running, um, you know, and there's a chance that Bill Kalsert, uh, State Senator, could jump in the race. And of course, you got well, Vernon Jones. Um, what
1: mm-hmm. do you think of?
2: Uh, can, can does Vernon Jones become the front runner, or does it remain? I've been hearing a lot about uh, Mike Collins.
1: I I, I don't think he becomes the de facto front runner unless Trump jumps in and aggressively starts campaigning for him. I don't know how aggressive he's going to be with that. I'm sure that him and Jones did some sort of deal. But, uh, you know, a simple endorsement, it, it, it might be all that. That he gets from Trump. Will that be enough with 12 other likely or candidates on the GOP side? I don't know. You've already mentioned the three main ones. And by the way, um, uh, David Curry has raised more money for that race than anyone else. I don't know if, if it was his position as a as a statewide um director of, of one of the departments, in this case the Department of Revenue that that got him those contacts to do that. But he has raised a lot of money and then with somebody like Collins you've got very good name recognition. And so uh then Paul Brown, who by the way, we've interviewed, as you recall, on this show when oh. he was running for Congress the first time and got elected. Um he he's not to be discounted um the 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 if if anything is going to hurt brown it's going to be jones getting in the race because they're going to be going after a lot of the same voters but no i don't think jones becomes the de facto anything uh not yet this is vernon jones we're talking about david we've interviewed this guy a few times and yeah, you know.
2: I, and and I and I don't think um, you know Vern Jones becomes the de facto front runner either. I didn't realize. Apparently, this seat has moved a little into the the still more conservative parts of Henry County. That could change over the course of this district's um, life. And then I think uh, Jackson County or Butts County, Jackson Georgia. So because some of the candidates are coming more from that area, so it could be a kind of geographical battle. Um, in the primary. You know, I, I wonder if Paul Brown was one of those candidates that hit lightning in a bottle. He was early on as a candidate during the Tea Party <laughs> movement. He also anyways right. is was, was a precursor to it. And so yeah. kind of a harbinger. Um, I, I wonder if he hit that moment and said when he left Congress it's gonna well, be hard for him to get it back. You
1: um, you, you make an astute point there as you recall the, one of the earmarks of the Tea Party movement was, "Hey, we are not beholden to any establishment, no matter which party it is." And of course, as you recall, the Republicans had a favored state senator that they anointed, basically, to take that district over. And the Tea Party movement and most of the voters down there just weren't having it. And I, that may be the high point of paul brown's career never to be seen again because he he's ran for a couple of other things even the statewide office and it it just it just hasn't translated into the type of success that he had the first time around
2: yes and i'll say this not to slight him because being a multi-term Congressman is a high point of a, a, or a whole lot of political careers right. would like that as the high point of their career. Yep. Um, well, yep. uh, you know, it was interesting when I saw Mike Collins' uh, site, um, you know, he's a truck uh, company owner, which, I mean, I guess that's what he does. But then his logo, he has the truck. And I'm like, pretty serendipitous moment for running in a Republican primary to then synergize with that. <laughs> Supply chains are an issue. Supply chains will be an issue all the way through um, the, the general election because no one likes inflation. It doesn't matter who you are; you don't just like paying more for the same stuff. Um, and, and so, if he can somehow, you know, say, "Hey, I've got expertise that I can bring to make the, you know, the transportation system better with supply chains," you know, maybe he could use what? that. Also, what we talked about last week on the show with this. Truckers' protest in Canada is is misguided, as that thing may have been, and as what and a small minority of the Canadian citizens and truckers, as that may have been. I think there's going to be a lot of symbolism that even translates over to American politics in the near future with the truckers and and um, you know a lot of pretty Republican folks, conservative
1: folks uh, getting in on that. That comes with a big if. That comes with a big if, though, and it's something that we have been talking about when we were not on the air. Uh, These truck protests seem to be the latest fad, and politically speaking, though, David, if they manage somehow to disrupt the Super Bowl, as they're talking about doing, would that not turn – the American people, even a lot of conservatives, totally against them.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what the Republican Party is so good at. Uh, that They get back in power, and they overreach. And there are some far-left members of the Democrat Party that do that too. But, uh, yeah, but the but Republicans are so good at that. They they, <laughs> they love to overreach and go too far. Um, you well, know, with things um,
1: don't 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 you think that attacking the Super Bowl is a wee bit overreaching when every red blooded American that can is watching the most watched event of the year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, one would think that if if they were successful, which you know, I, I don't know, and it's and it's to follow up, uh, you know, Evan told us that. Other cities in Canada were able to look at the playbook and were able to minimize what happened in Toronto, although they shut down Bloor Street and apparently part of St. Catharines Avenue, and I've been to Toronto, and those are two major uh, roads in, um, uh-uh. in Toronto, and so um, and then some other places. But then they were, we, it just got reported earlier today, and it may have been yesterday because we know how... Um, You know, time zones work and all. Um, uh, New Zealand, they had a protest there. And so you would think that Wellington, which is where this happened, um, could have then maybe used what happened in Ottawa to prevent it. But they were able to get into Wellington and and, um, really uh, grind things to halt there. And I don't know if it's still going on or how long it'll last in comparison.
1: You know, I, I I don't understand exactly what their end game is. I know what they want, but obviously, uh, you know, Evan mentioned this. They they're not getting anything they want, uh, except a lot of people weary of them being there and wanting them to leave. You've seen the polling that like 70% of the Canadian people are just against it from the get-go, and over 80% of the residents of Ottawa said, okay, you've made your point, now leave. And are they willing to leave empty-handed? I've noticed these folks on the extremes of the right have not been willing to leave anything empty-handed. So the question is, if they don't get what they want, where does this go now? What do they do where they sit or after this? I, I still don't see an end game for them here.
2: Yeah, I see no end game in a place like Canada because the country's further to the middle or left than they are. So they're just out of the mainstream. It seems like a lot of folks from the western half of Canada, not Vancouver, um, are just not... Uh, there's a real political division there, geographic, but then that's a much smaller part of the country. Geographically, it's that same geographic divide we're seeing really all over the world, particularly in America. Um, so I don't know what their end game is. I will say this. You know, we've always heard the, the phrase, read the room. I think a lot of zealots... Yeah and politics are just very, very poor at reading the room. You know. Um, you have some super strong feelings that you have and either A, people don't agree with you or B people don't care about the issue one iota as much as you do and you carry on about it and it's like read the room. Um mm. and, and that's that's what I think um those folks are having the issue with and if they continue at other places, uh you know, they'll have that issue, too. Uh, well, let's well back. One final thing. Oh, go
1: ahead, Tim. No, you you go ahead.
2: Well, I just wanted to mention, um, okay, so Vernon Jones, because this all started with, with Mike Collins' logo. Um, so if you, anybody knows anybody on the Collins campaign that was involved with their graphic design, let them know how impactful that logo was to our discussion today on the Kudzu Vine. Um, I've never seen a, a, a one little piece lead into, you know, a, A whole different discussion like that. But let's talk about Jody Heiss. He's leaving to run for Secretary of State. We know that he's running strong with the Trump backing. He also, um, I think, I've seen a lot of his signs paired up with Vernon Jones signs. And, you know, Vernon Jones, wherever, there's a vacant lot, there's Vernon Jones sign there. Um, Jody Heiss signs pair up with him a lot of times. Could this be something Jody Heiss kind of helped encourage Vernon Jones to do? Will he then endorse Vernon Jones? Could he afford to, given he has his own race? And then if he does, how impactful would that be to Vernon Jones? There's a three-parter there, Tim.
1: Yeah, boy, I'll say. And and one part I'm going to think right off the bat is he's going to do everything in his power to not make an endorsement in that race. Uh, it, it would serve no purpose to help him at all. And and I think any help he has rendered to this point has to be at the urging of the big orange elephant in the room. And we all know who we're talking about. And as far as purely p- political, I, I see no advantage To Heist wading into this thing, there's an old axiom in politics that you always run your own race. You don't try to run somebody else's race while you're running your race. It would serve no useful purpose to Jody Heist in a statewide race to make some sort of strong stand or endorsement against 11 other Republicans, when he's trying to get, you know, trying to win a general election statewide. That's what he should be concentrating on. There is no other reason for him to concentrate on anything other than that. Like I said, anything he does in the district, I would say it's with the urging of Donald Trump, wouldn't you?
2: Yes, I think you know Trump's more behind this to try to help Purdue because he just doesn't see Vernon Jones being able to defeat Brian Kemp, and that's a major role right. of his. Um, it right. would be interesting, and I'll say this. I don't know that if, if Jody Heiss were to endorse Vernon Jones, it would be this huge thumb on the scale. I'm not so sure, even in his old district, if he would have that much um, sway. And then, of course, this is a bit of a new district as well. Um I mean, like, here's the thing. I think in our district, Tom Graves were to endorse a different Republican besides the incumbent, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I wouldn't think that would give that person this outstanding chance to win.
1: Yeah, but, um, I but think you could I, go to
2: different, different districts that it's way. It's not
1: the same thing. It's not yeah. the same thing. Haas yeah. would not be uh, choosing over. someone over an incumbent. No. He would be oh, uh, endorsing yeah. in an yeah. open race.
2: I just, I'll tell you this, I don't know that um, an African-American single male from DeKalb County is going to do real well in a rural Republican primary, um, you know, for Congress. I just think, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where Vernon Jones is a good fit for. But I definitely don't think it's the 10 congressional.
1: You know what, David? Trump Trump didn't care as long as he wasn't in the race he was in. That's all Trump cared about. Once again, Donald Trump cares about Donald Trump. If David Perdue beats Brian Kemp, then in Donald Trump's mind, Donald Trump defeated Brian Kemp. And it's all thanks to the great Trump, right?
2: Yes. and, And I tell you what, that ought to be an object lesson. To politicians that think that Donald Trump's going to do something for them. Um, you know, Vernon Jones, switch parties, crowds. I don't know how good a Democrat he ever was, but he crowd surfed at the events and carried on and just all the support. And then when Donald Trump didn't have any use for him, he's just flecked him aside for David uh, Perdue's yeah. candidacy instead of endorsing him. And now he's moved him into this race, which is far from a, uh, thing. Right. And, and so it just shows like this is how he'll use you, and so be careful. Um, you know the, the agreement you make.
1: That's correct, and I just wonder when Republicans at large are just going to get weary of that. Say, you know what? Enough of you go away. <laughs> are they are they going to wait until he's not actually getting people elected, or they perceive that he's not? Or are they just going to get tired of him in general because of the way he treats people? How could anyone get in bed with this guy? How well, could uh, you,
2: you know, here it is. Um, you know, he, he he runs in 2024. If he gets defeated in the general, because I don't think he'd be stopped at the primary. If he gets defeated in the general, then, then he's probably going to precipitously lose support. If he wins... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you just don't we, even know We don't want to right? think about that right
1: yeah. now Yeah, uh,
2: Ivanka, Ivanka Trump is his VP they may He may try to establish a monarchy And everything else um, So yeah. we just don't know where that will go So I think that's the whole thing I, I don't see, if we call 2024 the foreseeable future There's no end to this in the foreseeable future And then 2024 right. resolves it one way or the other um, week That's how you have it Well, um, Tim, uh, I've enjoyed so much Having Tager Goddard on the show Your discussion with you about Georgia uh, And Vernon Jones Jody Heiss And Mike Collins And all these other Republicans We never uh, spend so much time discussing And um, hope everyone has a wonderful Super Bowl uh, Next week on the show we're going to have Dr. Anthony Tragoski to talk to us about Wisconsin, so we're excited about that. And, Tim, it's several days before the Super Bowl. I mean, somebody could kidnap Von Miller or Joe Burrow or anything else between now and the game. But assuming they play a game and everybody's relatively healthy, you got a pick for us?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with the Rams.
2: Well, and I'll tell you, I'm going to cheer for the Bengals, and so why not pick them if I'm going to cheer for them, too? They shouldn't have won the, probably the three games they already – definitely the two games they already won, the last two. So why not just make it a clean sweep and just keep winning? So we'll see how that comes out. And until next week, Ben the Kudzu Vine. We are
1: the
2: heirs
1: of that very revolution. with a strong
0: and united. America still be